So you all know the story of the kid, right? Who says to mom, mom, where did I come from? And all of a sudden, the mother receives by panic. Oh my God, this must be the moment at which I have to explain to him the stuff that no parent wants to talk about with their child. Where did I come from? So she thinks quick, but she does have the presence of mind to say, why do you want to know? And he says, well, Johnny comes from Boston. Where do I come from? <laughs> the question of where we come from could be answered in many ways, right? There are biological answers, there are social answers, there are philosophical answers, there are spiritual answers. Where do I come from? Well, what does that mean? So let's look at a different way. Where did I come from can mean, how did I get here? How did I get to this place in my life? Well, there's multiple explanations to that as well, right? Most of us in this room believe or contend that we have a common spiritual history. That's why we're here. My definition of being a Jew is the history of a person who says my history is the history of the Jewish people, my destiny is the destiny of the Jewish people. So most of us, I suspect, in this room believe that somehow or another the history of the Jewish people is our personal history. So we're here together today praying in the way our ancestors have prayed for 2,000 years. You just said words eh, that have been recited by Jews as prayers for 2,000, actually more than 2,000 years. And all of that is because our ancestors, people that we identify with, people whom we say, look, I am the descendant of these people. Well, they accepted a covenant with God long ago at a place that we term Mount Sinai. 3,000 years ago, 3,000 years ago. And they spoke the words that we spoke this evening, the same language that we spoke this evening. It's an amazing thing. We are their descendants. I don't know exactly what Sinai was. When we talk about Sinai, I speak about Sinai. Orthodox Jews contend there was an event, a historical event, right? People stood at a mountain at the foot of a mountain. I actually climbed that mountain at one point in my life, okay? There's a place, there was a time, people were there, God revealed the Torah to them. I don't believe that happened. I believe Sinai is a metaphor. Sinai, for me, is a metaphor for a process. When the people of Israel, the Jewish people, focus on God for divine purposes, we tend to discern God's will for us in history. The result of that, we call commandments. Mitzvot. In other words, commandments are the action results the action results of the interaction between God and the Jewish people. Sinai has taken place many times, many places, because it's the encounter between God and the Jewish people. Now, one of those books that we say that we received at Mount Sinai, the encounter between God and the Jewish people, right, is the last book of the Torah, the book of Deuteronomy. Since about the second century, rabbis have agreed that there are, how many mitzvot in the Torah? 613. Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> about 613 mitzvot in the Torah, according to Rabbi Simlai. And these are action statements. Mitzvot, a mitzvah, is an action statement, stuff we have to do. And we're all in agreement. There's 613 of them. The very last one, the last of the 613, 
31st chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, in which there are 34 chapters. Towards the end of the fifth book, the Torah says, take these words, get everybody together at Sukkot, and read these words. Read them out loud. Read them so that everyone can hear them. Get the whole people together. Hakel et ha'am. You recognize the word hakel, like kihilah, congregation? Bring them together in a congregation and read these words. In other words, these encounters with God, these moments in which a person felt God's presence, result in a person saying, I am commanded to do something. These are moments that are precious to us. These are moments that are memorable. These are moments that change our lives. And so we call them holy. We call them sacred. Something special has occurred. It's not that they constitute an obligation. Many people take me to vote as obligation. Oh, there's something I have to do. I don't want to be involved in that. Okay? I'm a, my own person. I'm free. I can do what I want. People take me to vote as something that is laid on you and you have to do it. No, that's not it. They're our responsibility. They are the result of an encounter at some point in history between God and the people. Do you have a responsibility to your birthday? Do you have a responsibility to someone who has died who is special in your life? No, you don't have a responsibility to those things. You have an encounter. You have a moment. You have something that you want to commemorate. Mitzvot are embedded in or originate from the Jewish people's encounter with the sacred. Let's take Shabbat. The Jewish people were the first to realize that if we are to bring that which is sacred into our lives, we must have certain techniques and we must devote time to it. It is part of the human experience, this is every culture, to note that there is something beyond us, something special, something sacred, something ineffable, something that we can't quite capture, that links us to that which is eternal. And knowing that and acknowledging that, the Jewish people said, you can't just leave that to chance. And so four kinds of traditions developed. On Shabbat, we pray. On Shabbat, we study. On Shabbat, we rest. And on Shabbat, we have oneg, sacred pleasures, like a great meal. All of them gifts from God to raise our material bodies to a higher, more spiritual level. They are opportunities. They are the realization in this encounter with God that potentially there is something very special in life that can be captured in a moment. Embedded in each mitzvah, in each commandment, lies a spiritual spark that we can harvest with the right motivation and the right intention. And that's what the rabbis were about. 
They said, do this and you can unwrap the spark that we discovered in life. It's not guaranteed to you. But it's there, it's there, it's buried in that mitzvah. And with the right intention and the right action, you can bring it out in your own life. Our ancestors knew this. And that's the answer to the question of why or how we are here today. You and I are here today and not someplace else because they, our ancestors, used these commandments, these embodiments of the experience of the holy that came into their lives and they put down in a few words. They used those and said to us, look, we found something very special that we can bring into the world that will be a blessing in your life. So we're discovering this today. How many people here think it's important what you eat? Right. Because that's what you become physically. Similarly, what you take in spiritually is important. Because what you take in spiritually is what you become spiritually. If you live among truth-sayers all the time, you live in a world of trust. And if you live among liars, as we are discovering all too often in our culture today, you live in a world with constant doubt and trepidation and anxiety and stress. The spiritual world in which we live, the spirituality we imbibe, determines the spiritual qualities of our lives. The spiritual values determine much of what our lives are about, and they result from our encounters with the holy. So what did we Jews do? We took these encounters with God. We strung them together in a story. We put that story, the story of spiritual encounters with God, we put them in a book. We call the book the Torah. And we read the stories. We recount the mitzvot. But all too often we forget that embedded in those words, encapsulated, is an encounter with God that can be recreated in our own lives if we want it to be true. I don't mean some fantasy. I mean, the genius of the rabbis or revelation, if you want, that's fine, whichever you call it, somehow encapsulated that moment such that it could be reclaimed by each one of us by keeping the mitzvot. Torah is not just our spiritual history, then. When we unpack these embodiments of spiritual encounter in our lives, when we ask how God wants us to live in this world, how God wants us to encounter another human being, how God wants us to determine what it is that we will eat, how God wants us to decide whether we will be cruel in order to gain political advantage or prestige in our lives. When we make these decisions, then we again bring that holiness of the encounter with God, that holiness embedded in the mitzvah, 
We bring it into existence. We bring it into our own lives as an experience. We free it from the story of our ancestors and we make it part of ourselves. When we tell the story of the Exodus at the Passover Seder, it's not just the story. There is embedded in that story the possibility that we can really experience our emergence from slavery. That's what it's about. The most frequent mitzvah in the entirety of the Torah. You know the soul of the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. And until you know that, until you experience the soul of the stranger, you shouldn't get up from the Seder table. Because that's what it's about. Until you look at the other and you say, I was once a slave, I wonder what it's like to be him or her. You haven't fulfilled the mitzvah, the telling of the story. We can live as the Torah commands us because the Torah commands us that we were once slaves and we should know the soul of the stranger even when we weren't actually physically slaves. You can learn the lessons of 3,000 years by observing mitzvot in our own lives. So this book of Torah containing our narrative history with its embodied mitzvot, the sparks of our encounters with God, can bring holiness into our lives because each experience recounts an encounter with holiness. And so we call the book sacred. It is sacred because within it is the possibility of unwrapping sacred moments and making them our own. And when we write the words of Torah, when we observe the final, the last commandment in the Torah scroll, now that you've heard all these commandments, now that you've heard the story, listen to the words. Write the words out. We are doing what our ancestors did 2,000 years ago. We're encountering the divine in our lives. We must pause when we write in Torah. We must make a particular story or a mitzvah, something embodying holiness for us. We must take that which is in the words and draw it into ourselves. As a result, we find that a small portion of God enters our lives. That which was encapsulated in the mitzvah, that which was present in the moment, can be experienced by us in the writing of the words. God is too great to possibly take all of God into our lives. We must encounter God where we find God. But then we pause, we consider, and we make the experience of writing Torah part of the body and part of the soul that it is. See, the amazing thing about Jews studying Torah, unlike anyone that I have ever heard of studying anything else, is that when you study anything else, 
You learn what's on the page. But when you study Torah, you become Torah. You and I cannot be at Sinai. But we can be Sinai. And maybe that's what's always been the case with us. Maybe Sinai is a process. Maybe it is, in fact, an encounter. Maybe it is a recognition that, by God, there is holiness in life that is possible to touch. But you have to be willing. You have to be ready. And it helps to have a guide that tells you where it's buried. When we find the divine spark at the center of a mitzvah, we bring the Jewish people's past encounter into the present, and we make it part of our own lives. We stand at the foot of Sinai. We write Torah with Moses. We discover in it the eternality of God and the ongoing relationship, the ongoing revelation, if you will, of God's mitzvot to the Jewish people. Mitzvah is the connection between the material person and the spiritual divine. We can bring it into our lives. And part of that is writing Torah. Kenya Hiratsu.